Hello and welcome to the RBC Ross Trevor Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community, to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoyed this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. Hello, everybody. How, how are you? Yeah, good. Uh, yeah, I'm John. Uh, if any of you uh, don't know me, I'm the youth coordinator here, and it's awesome uh, to be able to worship with you all tonight. Uh, so tonight we are continuing the Not A Fan series. Uh, and don't ask Dan, we're not finishing it tonight. We do have another one next week. Um, but uh, we've, we've gone through two already. Uh, Jacob started us up a couple of weeks ago with a message on letting go of self-reliance. And Liam continued on last week with a message on being ready for the return of King Jesus. And this week, we're going to talk about cost. So, in the vein of the Not A Fan series, what does it cost to be a fan of something? I'm a big fan of the Essendon Bombers, which, to my understanding, today is not a good day to be an Essendon Bombers fan. Um, But other than the consistent feeling of emotional turmoil, what's the cost of being a Bombers fan for me? Well, my membership's about 50 bucks, and I might spend a little bit more than that per year to go see them play. So not a huge cost money-wise. Time-wise, being an Essendon fan takes about three to four hours of my week. So again, not a huge time cost in the grand scheme of things either. Another one for me, I'm a big music fan. Uh, I'm a bit of a music nerd. I love music. I love collecting vinyls. I used to have an absurdly large CD collection. That was a waste of money. Talk about cost, crikey. But buying a vinyl is a one-time cost. Having a Spotify subscription is super cheap. It doesn't feel like the cost of being a music nerd is much of a burden on me at all. Whether it be time, money emotions, whatever it is, the cost of being a fan of anything is generally not super significant. You also can decide kind of whenever you want if you still want to be a fan. You can decide whether you want in and you feel like the cost is worthwhile. You can opt in and opt out of fandom. But as we've discussed in the past couple of weeks, and it's right there, We're not talking tonight about how to be fans of Jesus. We're here to be followers of Jesus. So tonight, we'll be looking at the cost of being a disciple. And to do that, we're going to be looking at Luke 14, 25 to 35. So if you have your Bibles with you, feel free to open them up. Uh, But the words will be on the screen to follow along. So Luke 14... 25 to 35. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, 
even their own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able, with 10,000 men, to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And before we go on, let's pray. Father God, thank you that we have the opportunity to come and worship you tonight. Thank you that we have the opportunity to come and give glory to you tonight. And I pray that... Uh, in this time, that that is, that is what is done, that glory is given to you, that uh, we are opening our hearts to what your word is saying and uh, we are opening our hearts for your spirit to move in us tonight. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, let's talk about hate. This is a pretty big statement that Jesus is making. It's a confronting one as well. But to be able to go on and understand this passage, we must first break down exactly what it is Jesus is saying when he says we are meant to hate everyone in our lives, including ourselves, to be a disciple. Our missional statement here at Ross Trevor Baptist Church is not loving God hating people, seeing lives changed. I don't think we would see many new Christians if we had that slogan plastered all over the church. I don't think that would work very well. Plus, doesn't this whole idea of hating everybody, especially coming from Jesus, seem a little bit contradictory? Like According to Matthew 23, 37 to 39, Jesus is asked about the greatest commandment. And responds, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, Jesus doubles down on this in John 13 and says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So, Jesus is specifically saying that it is the most important thing to love each other and ourselves just as he has loved us. In fact, he says that people will know that we are his disciples by our love for each other. And then we turn back to our passage for today 
and we see a giant contradiction. Except it isn't a contradiction. It's so important that we understand specifically what Jesus is saying here and how he is using the term hate. Hate, believe it or not, isn't a word that comes up heaps often in the Bible. But we can go back all the way to Genesis to find it being used there to describe Jacob's feelings towards Leah. To make a long story short, Jacob loved a woman named Rachel and married her. But before he married her, he ended up being married to her sister Leah. Weird situation. Because Jacob favoured Rachel and wished to be married to her all along, it is said that he hated Leah. This is a comment on preference, not of malice. When the term hate is used, it is meant to declare preference. For further proof of this, we can look at Matthew's version of the same statement Jesus is making in today's passage. It says, Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Jesus is not telling us to hate the people around us. He is telling us to love him first, to follow him above all other things in our life, which is still a tremendous challenge. I've struggled with the idea of placing God on the pedestal that he deserves. My dad was a hugely positive person in my life. He died seven years ago and over the past seven years, I've struggled constantly with where to find my identity and where my priorities are. Placing Jesus first is a decision that has honestly been super difficult to make. Perhaps similarly, you find the idea of placing Jesus above your family difficult. Perhaps you don't like the idea of letting go of control of your own life in order to submit to Jesus. The challenge for us is to remember that it is God that breathed life into each of us that everything that we have is his, and we must humbly and sacrificially give everything that we are back to him. I need to be clear, none of what I'm saying is meant to be easy. It is a difficult challenge that we must be aware of. We must, if we are going to live the life of a follower of Jesus, consider the cost. Jesus also gives us two scenarios to ponder in the middle of the passage, one on building a tower and the other on a king preparing for a war. Whilst they seem like quite different scenarios, they're illustrating the same point. You must consider the cost of being a disciple. You can't just start building a tower without the finances and resources to build the tower. Before even beginning that endeavour, you have to consider the cost. 
You can't jump into war against a king with twice as many troops as you. I'm sure we're all, or at least most of us, a little bit aware of the story of King Leonidas and the 300 Spartans and their bravery against the Persian army. It's an incredible story of bravery, but I feel like we pretty often brush over how that story ends. King Leonidas and the 300 Spartans die. You can't fight an army with twice as many members. You must consider the cost before going into battle. And you must consider the cost of being a disciple. Being a follower of Jesus requires complete devotion. It requires placing Jesus above our family, our friends and ourselves. It's a complete sacrifice. It's a big cost. Before diving into being a follower of Jesus, you need to genuinely consider that. The passage goes on to share a message similar to that found in Matthew and Mark on saltiness and the importance of being and remaining salty. To remain salty in this passage is to remain in him completely. By living selfishly, by not living faithfully, we lose our saltiness. We must be willing to sacrifice our own desires and our own lives to be faithfully following Jesus. Becoming a follower of Jesus is an all-in decision and it's a massive one. We are called into a life of servanthood and sacrifice, a life likely filled with persecution and ridicule. We're called to put our faith in Jesus above all things and be willing to lose our lives for our faith. We have to give up everything that we think is ours. Liam mentioned last week that we cannot be living our lives as though we are the king and ruler of it, because we are not. Jesus is king and we are called to follow him. A lot of this passage is challenging, but we must also remember why this incredible cost is worth it. This isn't just following Jesus because we think he's a cool dude and we like what he stands for. Being a follower of Jesus means we can share in his victory, share in his resurrection glory. We can have eternal life with God that we don't deserve because of Jesus. We don't get that anywhere else. Though we must pick up and carry our crosses now. The cost is worth it because following Jesus gives us something better than we could ever imagine. But we can't see that yet. Right now, we're still here. We haven't got heaven yet. And that can be another stumbling block for people, and I want to acknowledge that. So if the reward is far away, and all we have right now is the cost... What is our motivation? Why would we embark on the challenge of being a disciple? Firstly, because we're not doing it alone, in the sense that there are so many other followers who are embarking on the same challenge as we are and able to lift us up. 
Ecclesiastes 4, it says, Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labour. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. And if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Wise words from Solomon, and they hold true now. Being a follower of Jesus is not a pathway to an easy life, but having like-minded followers that you can lean on who will lift you up and keep you warm when you need it is awesome and encouraging. But secondly, and most importantly, is we're not doing it alone in the sense that Jesus has gone before us and is with us every step of the way. When Jesus tells us to carry our cross and follow him, he isn't telling us as some faraway leader saying we should just deal with our suffering and follow him. It's Jesus that would carry the cross and be crucified on it for us. He would be beaten, spat on, ridiculed, tortured until his death. He carried the weight of all of our sin on his back and died and rose again to defeat death and sin for our sake. That is the God that we are following here. The cost of following Jesus is immense. But so was the cost of our salvation, which Jesus paid for each and every one of us. It doesn't stop there, and I'm going to invite the band to come up. In John 14, it says, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Jesus has not abandoned us to carry our cross and pay the cost alone. He is with us, guiding us every step of the way. I want to once again acknowledge that this is a challenging message. It's a message to say that we need to give up everything to be a disciple. But our God is good and is with us through the challenge. We're sinful and imperfect, but Jesus isn't and Jesus is with us. That's why he went before us. Though we must carry our cross and prepare for hardships, God is good. He's worthy of our praise. He is worthy of being our first priority and he is worthy of our everything. I want to close with a passage from Paul's letter to the Philippians. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. 
What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in the sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you love us so much that you would send Jesus for us to live and die and rise again. Because we are so broken and there's no way that we could do anything ourselves that you do go before us, that you love us so much, that even though we can't find our way to salvation, you did for us. And God, I want to pray for anyone that is struggling with the challenge of being a disciple. May they know that they are loved by the people around them. May they know that they are loved by you. They have people that they can lean on. That they have the spirit of God inside them. That you have sent for them. And Father God, may that be empowering to those people. But for all of us, may we just know how good you are, how much you love us and how worthy of the praise, the glory, the cost, the everything that you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening and we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If this message has impacted you in some way, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us through The Hub online at thehub.rbc.org.au or through our social media links in the show notes. See you next time.